Welcome to Source Not Found, podcast where two friends talk about the worst versions of your favorite things. My name is Bo Woodall, and I know absolutely nothing about Mortal Kombat. And my name is Brandon June, and I know a little bit about Mortal Kombat. Brandon, what do you know about Mortal Kombat, man? I know I spent a lot of my youth getting my ass handed to me uh, on the original games on Super Nintendo, um, fumbling around, just lots of uh, attempts at the dial-a-combos, failed attempts, I want to say. Um, a lot of, like, hearing things from a friend's older brother, like, did you know that on this level, if you put in this series of inputs, like, Liu Kang turns into a dragon? But more recently, I guess I did spend a lot of time, I played a bit of Mortal Kombat 10. I think that was my first experiencing of the series since the initial trilogy. Coming back to that, and then actually I spent a lot of time with Mortal Kombat 11. That's, like, the first time, maybe in my life, because even as a kid, like, Aside from the aesthetics and like all the awesome gore, I kind of recognize like Street Fighter is a better game. I'd rather be, I'd rather be playing some oh, Street Fighter right now. Shots um, fired. <laughs> we're they're gonna, they're gonna, here yeah, they're gonna come for you, buddy. Get over here. For but this was eleven was the first time. Like, no, this is legitimately a great game. Like, I loved it. I platinumed that game. I uh, I played the hell out of it. And the story mode was a very fun ride. Um, and I'm I know they're rebooting it which is fine. I was kind of liking the... I mean, they went off the rails in the best way with that last one. I, again, I've... I had a friend of mine who had Mortal Kombat 2 when I was little, like, very young, and so I had some experience with that game. Um, but, well, after that, nothing. I know names of characters and taglines and a guy that says, Toasty! And that's about it. I mean, that's a deeper cut than uh, than I think most modern fans would even recognize, right? Oh, my friend, when I was younger, that's all he wanted was to see Toasty Man. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I mean, uh, whether you have um, experience with the series or not, though, these characters, some of them are just so iconic that you couldn't help. You can't help but know Scorpion, right? Oh, if yeah. If you have I mean, any gaming experience. I mean, you can you can recognize them by by color of the the ninja mask and you can recognize some of them by the moveset they have or the weapons they have just based on cultural osmosis i think at this point well it's funny you bring that up like in terms of the the color aspect of things because yes if you can recognize one of them uh you can probably recognize a few of them Uh since we basically have the same (laughs) general uh design yeah aside from like Blue Ninja Man or Yellow Ninja Man or Green Ninja Man or or Gray Ninja Man, <laughs> Red Ninja Man. We got a Gray Ninja Man. There are tons of Ninja mm-hmm. Men. All the Ninja Men. But we are going to pretend like we don't know the who's that Ninja Man. I don't know that Ninja Man. I know no Ninja. I man. know no Ninja Man. I'm pulling out my what I want to say Men in Black memory erasing device. I am going in a tabula rasa clean slate. For the experience of what? So, so I found a book called Mortal Kombat, a novel based on the characters in the video game Mortal Kombat by Jeff Rovin. This book is not a novelization of the movie. This is a novel based on a video game. And we have gone into this with clear hearts, open minds, can't lose to see exactly what Mr. Rovin has brought us with these wonderful, wonderful characters. I mean, I'm going in, I'm putting back on my English lit major cap. I'm, I'm sitting down. I'm ready to let, let's go buck wild. Let's do some, uh, deconstructive criticism on this, this thing. Let's really get into the nitty gritty. Spoiler alert. I could not put on my English major lit analysis hat for this novel, or I would probably be fetal. What if it's a lit major uh, ninja cow? All right, I can do that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we're walking into a, a hypothetical bookstore. 1995? Yes. Is this I, 95? I believe that is correct, yes. We see something just, it catches our attention. A spine on the shelf. What catches my attention is the fact that Mortal Kombat is spelled with a K. What catches my attention is the fact that there is a dragon on this book, and that's honestly all nine-year-old Bo needed to pick mm-hmm. up a book. Well, that's true. If we're looking just if if they've got it displayed, you know, cover facing I out, mean, like why a, in a prominent they? fashion, 
in that scenario, absolutely. We've got not even just a dragon, a very like visually arresting dragon emblem, right? Yep. This is this is great. Like this is a great iconic design. This is like um this is Chip Kids Jurassic Park cover. Calibre, yeah, this is say. a tattoo you would get because you love something so much. Like would get hypothetically didn't get definitely don't have that hypothetically. <laughs> this is like the uh, this is like the Ghostbusters insignia. Like this is this is yes. symbolic on a level that is um, damn near timeless. I'm willing to say mm. I don't know it very well. Totally agree, but it looks real cool. It looks cool, and and on the cover, it just it just has to be mentioned that. This is the first time in print for this book, and it is based on the characters created by Ed Boon and John Tobias for Midway Manufacturing Company. Midway? What is this? I'm imagining, I don't know, pinball machines, something on the, alongside the boardwalk. Yeah. Of the coast. Something, something that gets me tickets and therefore gets me sticky hands. Yes. Always the sticky hands. So we have bought ourselves what looks to be an amazing novel. So let's talk a little bit about it. Well, I'm immediately sitting down. In fact, do I even have time to get out of the store? Now, I immediately buy it just because, but I'm like doing things in reverse. I'm back in time. I'm at the borders with all those plush leatherette chairs. I have bought the book. I can take it home, but I'm deciding to do it right here and now. I can't possibly wait. I open up and what immediately greets me? First page. The great tournament begins. Yes. The great tournament begins it looks like this is just a part of the book that's going to happen later on i guess mm. it seems like an excerpt from a pivotal moment yeah. right because we have the introduction we have dialogue from a man named shang sung um who's saying he's decided to take the year off he's no longer young kung lao who i guess is another person i felt it would be best for this year at least to let someone else fight on my behalf a thundering grows louder a great hulking shape emerges from the darkness a bronze-skinned entity four powerfully muscled arms thumping his great chest he staggers out shang sun's eyes gleam wickedly kung lao i would like to introduce you to my champion however if you can speak hereafter you are free to call him by his given name goro and then in a giant bold font mortal Kombat. okay so i have two things about this um one if you can speak hereafter that means that this is to the death probably right i mean it's called mortal Kombat. So it's not called mm. Immortal Combat or To the Pain Combat. No, these guys are these guys right. are fighting for keeps. They're playing they're they're racing for pink slips, you know, like these guys are are in mm -hmm. it to win it. And in this maybe 150 word excerpt, there are three names mentioned, three separate characters mentioned. I am a little overwhelmed by names already and it's only going to get worse i have a feeling this is definitely made for the fans right because the the mic drop moment right the pivotal sort of cut to black cut to open and credits is goro goro is here the name you've been waiting for everyone can't wait to see goro and i'm just sitting in this chair at borders thinking what the fuck yeah, is a goro it's a goro it's he sounds sexy it's obviously like <laughs> it does those four arms muscly rippled muscled arms thumping that that bronze chest oh man I'm, I'm a little too hot and bothered i think i gotta yeah. take this to the maybe the manga aisle where <laughs> things get a little a little freakier oh no i've caught the vapors <laughs> but it is like for that to have any sort of dramatic anything you gotta know what goro is and you gotta understand just by mentioning the name that this is a, a pivotal character or a, a force to be reckoned I with. I assume he is a beloved character. Unfortunately, we don't know any such <laughs> yeah. things. I assume <laughs> he's a beloved character created by Ed Boone and John Tobias. For, yes, for, for Midway, Midway Manufacturing. manufacturing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Now, as, as great... Yeah. <laughs> say, so moving on, I am ready to start this book, right? I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. Immediately, I am struck by two things before we even get into the prologue. And I know that we're being very uh, nitpicky and focusing on minutia, and it probably seems like this is going to be a three and a half hour long podcast at this point. But the author's note and the quote both need to be mentioned because the author's note, absolutely, by uh, Mr. Roven, mentions the fact that apart from the characters that appear in the video game Mortal Kombat, most of everything else 
comes from the rich mythology and history of China. And interested readers, nine-year-old me, can learn more by consulting such texts as Great Civilizations, colon, China by Ian Morrison, and The Wonderful Alchemy, Medicine, and Religion in the China of AD 320. In particular, the James R. Ware translation. (laughs) Jeff, my man, you're taking some big leaps, some big, big choices. Because I'm a I'm a nine year old who is so excited to see dragons, and you're telling me to read books for a collegiate anthropologist. Not only are we dealing with an author who is pulling quotes out of the Nepian of Ko Hung, meaning he is well read in this this text, he has grappled with multiple translations of the Nepian of Ko Hung and decided <laughs> this one and is has his particular chosen <laughs> a translation that he enjoys the most. Jeff, I appreciate the recommendation and your expertise here. This is a deep cut. I had to go digging around to even figure out what this text is. This is like an obscure Taoist text about alchemy and medicine. Like, you got to be seriously into Taoism to even have any conception Before of what this thing is. Before we even get into the story, do we think that Mr. Roven is just a Chinese history scholar who wanted to write a fun novel? I think you've nailed it. It's like, you know... I'm just not getting funding for my, my thesis <laughs> on the Napier Nicole This Hung. is how he got tenure. <laughs> uh, That's right. Uh, just, uh, I got to bankroll this somewhere else, outside yeah, academia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the quote is actually a very good quote for an adult to read. But there is no way in hell nine-year-old me stops to read the roots of a thing may be well-balanced, but its branches may be deviant. There's, I, there's not a single child that bought this book that took the time to read that quote or look up deviant yeah, in the no. dictionary. They might know, they might yeah, know deviant art. Yeah, though. absolutely. I knew, I knew deviant art. <laughs> I was so, <laughs> so sheltered. Um, so from there, we're into the prologue and, uh, in said prologue, we are starting right at the beginning, the beginning of time. Uh, let's get this right. In the beginning of time, nothing was everywhere and it was everything. Thoughts. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just so all right so i have i don't have a lot i i need to say about the prologue i mean this is a it's a 1995 release and just anything at this point to try and craft an introduction to like the birth of time the universe and everything that isn't like derivative or stupid i mean that is a a lofty goal i mean it's already been done so many times you know by like the Bible, the Upanishads, even like Tolkien's like Silmarillion, yeah. right? Just like fantasy authors for years have been like crafting their own, their own mythology, their own creation stories, right? So like anything is going to be... If you're, if you're going to do it, pull like, pull a Pratchett or a Gaiman or, you know, either have fun with it or do something absolutely wild. Well... Yeah, speaking of that. <laughs> it can be, you can increase the fun factor a bit if you read this through a millennial lens, which is how I choose to do it. Because, fellow millennials may know, we, uh, we took the word everything and we kind of imbued it with our own sensibilities, right? Like, this is like, you know, peak internet speak, right? Like, oh, the show you just watched on Netflix, it's not just good or enjoyable. Yeah. It's everything. Right. This show is everything. This album is everything. This T Swifty, you know, it doesn't just slap. It's not just everything. a bop. It's everything. This avocado toast is everything. So in the beginning of time, nothing was everywhere and it was everything. <laughs> Dude, nothing is everything. So I like I said, I don't have a lot about the prologue, but I do want to bring up one question. They mention the the entire creation story coming from gods and goddesses of classic Chinese religion mythology going way back apparently however there is a description that i am very very confused by and that is of who became the supreme god after the creator died but tn he is six-armed and four-legged what does this thing look like an even hotter goro see that's that's the thing is like I assume Goro is going to have some sort of correlation to Tien, right? If we if we go with the book, yes, mm-hmm. that is a thing. But I, looking at it right now, knowing that Goro had four arms and a bronze chest and very muscly and and probably glistening, we assume that he is 
probably some sort of analog to TN in some way, shape, or form. However, mm-hmm. that's going from bipedal to quad- quadrupedal. Those are two very, very different things. Unless he has like four legs, like a like a nightstand. <laughs> I thought it more like a you know like an arachnid style, like clambering about. Oh but Jesus! I hate that. That's more horrific, I guess. But from there, we are the the real takeaway is like okay, we've got gods. This is a, a universe imbued with the power of mythological beings. Some of them are going to come into play to a certain degree. Um. But I think the main takeaway is like, what is time? Yeah. The, the real, anyway, the real, really? take, the real <laughs> takeaway is that gods don't like mortals getting up in their shit. That's true, too. Because they, the they put 15 dudes around a mountain. The gods are up on the mountain, and the 15 dudes are supposed to... They're given immortality, apparently, and they're supposed to keep everybody else away from their mountain. Don't go up the fucking mountain. We will end you. This is our frat house. <laughs> You are not on the list. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. typical God behavior. Yeah, typical deific behavior. And then lastly is the breakup into the realms. Right? You've got yep. the uh the white opened into the realm of Tien, the blue opened into our world, the black was the passage into the abode of the dead, and the red was the doorway to the outworld home of the greatest mysteries of all. And that is how it ends. And from there, we are launched into part one, Chujong in the district of Tanyang, 480 AD. 8480 is a pretty good jump, right? And I, we will, uh, yeah, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to break into it, in, into it now. But uh, how did you feel about this kind of starting off chapter one? You know, I didn't even have a lot of time to, to think about the time setting because I was so immediately taken with the choice of place setting. This scene, this initial scene, takes place at the Jackie Chan Temple. All one word. J-A-C-K-I-C-H-A-N Temple. How the fuck did I miss that? Did I really miss that? <laughs> wow. I Jeff Rowan. <laughs> Jeff, my man. That is a I went looking, like, maybe there is some historical precedent. Maybe this is just a a coincidence. I have not been able to find anything on a Jackie Chan temple. So I have to, my only conclusion is that we have both the the highest of the highbrow in terms of pulling from deep esoteric Taoist texts and the very lowest, laziest world building I have ever seen. Oh, my God. That's so, so good. It's like using your smartphone on the toilet, right? And, like, what you're doing is not looking at Instagram or checking social media, checking your Twitter. You're maybe, like, I don't know, solving calculus equations for fun. And then you stand up to wipe, and you just drop it right down in the doo-doo. Yep, yep. That sounds about right. And that's what <sighs> we got going on here. <laughs> okay, so I, mean, I did not know about the Jackie Chan temple. Holy crap, I can't believe I missed that. The reason I missed that is I was too busy with the other five characters introduced in the six-page chapter, all of them with proper names, all of them with Mm -hmm. motivations and feelings, and most of them not heard of again. Right. But this chapter we are introduced to, we assume, our main character, Kung Lao, who Mm -hmm. seems to be... And his aunt, Chen. And his aunt slash mom, Chen, because his... I did not understand their relationship. It... There was. I had to go back in from later chapters and like piece together the family tree with some of these. Kung Lao. We'll just start with him, because we don't really deal with Chin very much, even though there's a weird family tree issue thing happening. But mm-hmm. he's just a he's just a water boy. He carries water to the village. He's very curious. Not sure. His dad wasn't alchemist, but also kind of sounded like a meth dealer, like blew up his own garage <laughs> sort of situation. Uh, and he did have a good quote in this chapter. I'll give it to him. Grow by learning, learn by daring. Like, that's not mm, bad. That that's is not good. bad. There's, there's some good writing in this book. Uh, we are starting out kind of like poking fun and, and talking about some of the more sort of ridiculous ideas at play. But uh, there's a lot of good writing 
throughout this book. So, chapter one, we get our boy, Kung Lao. We get to meet his entire extended family, and we find out that he... We get a um, pretty decent sense of his character, yeah. too, right? Because... Curious, but cautious, and loves to learn. He's kind of a dissenter, right? He is starting to believe that maybe everything they know about the god Tian is incorrect. Maybe Tian is not the ultimate god. Maybe, in fact, that title belongs to Panku. Because he has found a piece of cloth with a cryptic message on it that only he can see... And to everyone else, it appears blank. Yeah, this was... And he believes this means he was chosen to journey out and investigate the truth. This was my first instance of using all caps in my handwritten notes. And it just says, uh, chosen one, exclamation mark. Because, of course, he is. And uh, even in chapter two, the, the following chapter, right, we have a lot more of this where he's talking about the leadership of China, right? And he talks about having little regard uh, for the Han Dynasty, um, the unification under the Qin. Um, talks about them being fools, talks about the gods being selfish. And I think this is a really interesting way to just immediately establish like, okay, we don't have just like a, a pious, your typical monk that kind of bows his head and believes all the stories, but someone that's actually going out, venturing out, seeking knowledge, and is going to challenge the status quo. Right. And I, I, I think it's a very important thing to also note that despite his apparent father's death through alchemical means, probably... He is still pushing himself to learn and discover and question and, and go through everything. So I, I think that obviously he is our main character. Like that is that's what we're looking at here. This book is a story of Kung Lao. Yes, I agree 100 percent. And uh, I think Mr. Rovin would agree with us as well. The important thing we get in chapters one, two and three is the introduction of Kung Lao and the beginning of his hero's journey. Yes. And it's a literal fucking journey. He is going to the mountain where the gods are supposed to live. That is, that is what he's, that's what Go he's, big or go home. That's what he's doing. We also have the lingering question of how did Kung Lao's father die? Thoughts? Something involving concussive, concussive powders, I think, is mentioned. Yes. Well, see, we know it was an alchemical accident, maybe an explosion. Now, when Kung Lao is remembering the, the nighttime meetings between his father and a beggar who always dressed in black <laughs> um, from his youth, this sort of vague character that uh, would come from time to time. Um, Kung Lao recalls his father's strong desire to meet the gods, him stretching out towards the moon, wondering why he could not reach them. This was the driving force behind his alchemy, the desire to perhaps find something that might propel him to that distance. And this reminds me of the story of Wan Hu. I don't know if you know Wan Hu, maybe... Possibly the first astronaut. Um, it's a story of a Chinese official. The range is like, it's a vast range. Anywhere from like 2000 BC to as late as like the Middle Ming Dynasty in the 16th century. But uh, basically he had a bunch of fireworks, so rockets strapped to his chair, had them lit on fire. And then the idea was he would be propelled up into the moon. And maybe he did it because he was never seen or heard from again. Cool. <laughs> so, it, so it was like it was like the movie Up, but with rockets. Yeah, cool. Probably a a good deal more a, a viscera. Yeah, a, a blood and guts just raining down upon the fellow officials because I can't imagine that was a pretty end There's, to that story. There is no way in hell, dude. But I like to imagine Kung Lao's father trying something similar. That's how I choose to read this. He was just a red mist at the end of the whole thing. Um, so at the end of chapter two intro to, or in the end of chapter three into chapter three, we hit, uh, our, our newest pseudo main character, Raiden. At the end of chapter three, we get to meet a sexy lightning man. Yes. He comes, he appears after Kung Lao has been traveling for days out of food, starving, exhausted, even forgoes the proper mourning of his father, something he's required to do every day for three years. Yep. Um, because he fears that if he kneels down, he may not have the strength to rise again. So just at the end of this, this is really, this is the point in the hero's journey, right? Like just being run through that initial series of trials. Yes. And he is rewarded for his perseverance by meeting Lightning Man. <laughs> yeah, he's, he meets a sexy Lightning Man. Dressed in a straw hat and a white tunic. Yep. Standing in godly stature. I actually really like this line. Kung Lao counted the time in heartbeats and then in thunderclaps. I can just visualize, like, 
the sense of like time stopping and hearing nothing but his heart and then just gradually time like resumes right forward progression and a naturally slow progression and uh, the thun like the thunderclaps just punctuating that that interminable moment it's a very cool scene i'm just imagining this man this god standing before him on this mountaintop soaked in rain so yeah that that's a that's a lovely quote the quote that struck with me was raiden saying your father was not the chosen one you are you un- <laughs> you understand the duality of all things now listeners readers remember duality Definitely remember duality. Holy, this is a story about duality, if nothing else. Holy shit! Um, but I mean, that's that's what that's what happens in this first part of the book. Is we've got Kung Lao going on his journey, meeting Raiden after basically sacrificing his own health and both physical and mental to try to learn about the gods, right? And is rewarded by Raiden stealing him away on a bolt of lightning. Mm-hmm. And just before that, also the reveal that. In a flash of lightning, Kung Lao has a flash of the man's old beggar's clothes. And this is one and the same. The mysterious beggar that met his father yep. in his youth is, in fact, was, in fact, Lightning Man Raiden. Yeah, the god of thunder, but does a lot of things with lightning instead, Raiden. Mm. From there, we, we have yet another character, Chapter 4, a okay. man named... Shang Tsung. Yeah, so this is, this is very important. This is, this is when shit gets really crazy for me more than anything else. Yeah. So Shang Tsung is introduced. We meet our villain. The reason I feel like he is the villain is because he has minions. <laughs> also, he's trying to get into the demon realm. He actually even says he has had his agents steal from alchemists and magicians worldwide. So that is in the first paragraph that Mr. Roven White writes in this chapter. <laughs> Shang Tsung is our bad guy. There is no question. The problem is, Shang Tsung is Kung Lao's uncle dad. Right. Shang Tsung is married to Chen. That's right. What the fuck, man? Like, I get it. You know, like, it's the classic Kung Lao, I am your father sort of situation, but... Uncle magic. Didn't even... Okay. Didn't even try on that one. The other thing that I have to mention before we get into the entire thing that he does with alchemy, which, honestly, I just... I read it all and it was fine, but I just fucking it just went went right past me. But there is um, two notes that I have for the entire Shang Tsung introduction. One, these are characters made for the Midway Manufacturing Company by Boone and Tobias. Jeff Rovin decided to make the bad guy a fucking tax collector. Like, <laughs> real like man, just you could have just said like. Hey, you know what? Let's be cliche. He's a lawyer. And <laughs> it would have been just as bad. And yeah, because I mean, he does. He starts down the path to a more interesting. He's not a, a one dimensional villain villain by any stretch. I mean, you have this initial description of Shang Tsung and like kind of like it's focalized through him. He's ruminating on the uh, similarities, the commonalities between like Greek and Chinese creation myths, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. thinking like, oh, this must actually hint at the true nature of things. The fact that like philosophers and scholars from different cultures have all sort of like gradually come to the same conception of the universe. So Joseph Campbell, eat your heart out. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> no kidding, right? He recalls a number of myths and legends. He uh, He's very knowledgeable. Like he actively seeks the truth of the universe and he's not all bad. I mean, it talks about at his wife's insistence, they took in the orphan boys. And then he faked Kung his own Chen. death so he didn't have to worry about it. But he did take them in for a <laughs> while. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, that's true. Well, I just mean, we have like the attempt to maybe round him out a little bit. But then it's like, by the way, he's a tax collector. And also his face, he has resting menace face. Uh, just like it, it resembles a skull. I was gonna like, say, just even skin pulled taut around a skull. Jeff even says it's incongruously skull-like. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of all goes out the window. Like, all right, we got the big bad here. Uh, so before we get, because this entire chapter is about Shang Tsung's trying to get to the outworld, the demon realm, right? Before we get there, I just mm-hmm. have to call out Mr. Roven on one thing. Uh, he mentions a 4th century B.C. Greek philosopher, John Cleese. One, that man does not exist. 
I looked it no? up. <laughs> okay. John Cleese. Is this a pun? Is this a joke? Like, as in Monty Python, one and the same John Cleese? Huh. Is that what he's going for? I, I, God, I hope so. And maybe it just went past me. <laughs> that would at least, that would at least make it a little better, right? If like, okay, it's still like, that's a stretch. That's a weird thing to do with this opportunity. Still preferable to Jackie Chan Temple, I want to say. Yeah, de- sure. Okay, so we are moving along. We have chapter five, the introduction of the BBEG, Big Bad Evil Guy. Mm-hmm. The reason we know... This is the true... Yes. The reason we know he's the Big Bad Evil Guy is because he speaks in italics. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no mistaking this one. And then, you know, once we see that he speaks in italics and he has a little demon minion guy, he also calls himself the King of Darkness. Yes, well, not just that. We have the whole list of oh, titles, right? right? Lord of Outworld, Master of the Furies, and King of the Dark Arts. Sure, sure. Yeah, Master of the Dark Arts is just, that's what John Constantine calls himself. But, beside the point, <laughs> uh... He is also completely against duality. He wants to rule over... It, it is literally his way or the dead way. Like, Although he does appreciate dualities in terms of uh, torturing tactics. I mean, true. he's currently grilling one of his demon underlings and alternating uh, icy breath and, and hot breath. Yeah, just doing he, the old icy hot. It kind of a, it's a little sexy. I got, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> everyone in this book is intended to be sexy. There is not a single character. This is a sexy, yeah. Even Shang Tsung's incongruously skull-like face, before that, it's mentioned how strong his cheekbones are. Like, everyone yeah. in this book is intended to be sexy. Mm. Um, but yeah, he he is obviously the main bad guy. And come to find out, Shang Tsung is Shao Kahn's former regent reincarnated. Because that's a thing now, too. Why not? Yeah. We have like a Goku Kakarot situation here, right? Like you were sent here on a mission to do bad things and forgot to do the bad things and are slowly starting to remember about the things you're supposed to do. And one of the one of the biggest things in in books is show, not tell. Right. And in writing in general, you show you don't tell. Right. Something is mentioned a few times, especially a little bit later on. But Shao Kahn mentions that he is the master of death, and the master of the Shokan regions of magic. I could give zero fucks about most of everything I've read so far. I want to know what those regions of magic are, though. I really do. Mm. I really Mm. do. I want to know what Jeff Rovin can do with different forms of magic design and theory. Because I bet that shit gets wild. I'm sure he's got uh, several texts with favored translations (laughs) that he could recommend to you. But so here in this initial uh, introduction, we also have basically the bad guy's goal, right? The portal between Outworld and our human realm, our mortal mortal realm, is too small. Only one little human can seem to like poke through. Yeah, that'd be Shang Sun. So Shang Sun, yeah, yeah. Shang Sun needs to amass souls here in our realm, feed them into the portal, allow it to grow, so that Shao Kahn can come through with his demon hordes and end the duality. Effectively, and rule over it all. The end of chapter five is the end of the. Prologue, mm-hmm. basically. The stage is set. We know who the main players are, what they want, what they're going for. Yes. Then, so you would think, with that being said, and chapter six starting with a fifteen-year time jump, we'd be in part two. But no, no. Jeff Rovin is an unconventional guy, <laughs> and he is sticking with that part one. Uh, so we jump to chapter six. We are twenty percent into this book. At chapter six, and we are just mm-hmm. now hearing about Mortal Kombat. Mm. The phrase Mortal Kombat is finally mentioned. And it's what Kung Lao has been training for these last 15 years. He's been training with annual battles against Raiden, whose moveset of, and this is a, a detail I just love, uh, yeah, I, I, whose moveset of lightning throws and torpedo attacks, which are all capitalized, proper nouns. And teleport. Don't forget his teleport. Teleport. Yeah, I, have, yes. I actually um, wrote down his moveset. I I'll. I'll if you want to do the, the torpedo attack, I'm pretty sure it's just like back, back, forward, forward X or something. I, I don't know. I made that I'm completely I'm honestly surprised up. that he didn't drop that somewhere in the description here. This is like uh, any attempt to sort of distance himself from the source material and create his own mythology here. It's just like, is, but we're going to lean heavily into movesets here. It is completely <laughs> gone when you capitalize what moves he uses in his Mortal combats, But it is not just that he's been fighting Raiden annually. He has been going to Mortal Kombat 
for the past 13 years because he says, I have been going, I have been the champion for the past dozen years plus one, which for those of us at home, that's 13. You could just say 13, Jeff, (laughs) Jeff, my man, you could just say 13. Um, and he has been going for the past 13 years and he has been grand champion of the tournament for several mm-hmm. for the I think he says like for the past six or seven tournaments, he has been grand champion, which means he has not aged and he has to fight Shang Tsung every time. Here's the thing. And he gets to retain ownership of the amulet. The amulet bestowed is by Raiden. Yes. Do they not recognize each other? Who and who? Kung Lao and Shang Tsung. They fight each other every year for 13 years. And there was only a two year break in between in between where Kung Lao left Shang Tsung's wife to go look for the gods. Shang Tsung took these kids in with his wife, and now he has been trying to kill this kid for the past 13 years. You are absolutely right. And at no point does it come up in the slightest degree. No one mentions it, especially not in part one. How do we not have that? How do we not have the just emphatic uncle, not you? Yeah. To some something, anything, anything. If there was just a brief moment of Kung Lao being like, as I get into my combat stance to do my capital letter high kick thing, I realize that Shang Tsung has a lingering kindness in his eyes, much like my uncle Wing or something. You know, I think mm. I think Kung Lao's dad's name was Wing, but still just a single line and I would have been able to buy it. But the fact that it was right. completely ignored was especially how smart Shang Tsung is supposed to be. Damn. Well, we've got we've got our attention focused elsewhere, right? Because we have all this focus on the amulet and thinking about what might happen were it to fall into the wrong hands. Trailing off. This is where we need the toasty style foreshadowing. Yeah, no kidding. Like right? popping in from the yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. So we go through. The next couple of chapters, honestly, for me, are all kind of one big block because it's the beginning of Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. It is the introduction of what Mortal Kombat is. It is the postscript of the prologue of this book, even though by the end of this chunk of chapters, we are almost halfway through the novel. And we are just getting to the story. But my my big thing is, the my big takeaway from this whole thing was Shang Tsung can only use fighters' souls to power the portal or to make it bigger. He right. he tried to kill artists and artisans and carpenters and stuff like that, and their souls were just meh, apparently. Which is, mm-hmm. you know... Yeah, he went on a little, uh, you know, any sort of, again, dimensionality or hints of conscience yeah. below his just skull-like sorcerer's exterior. Yeah. Just extinguished with the, him slitting people's throats with, like, bamboo knives in the night. Yeah. <laughs> Dragging yeah. them back to Shimura Island. He, he basically uh, which just... is where the tournament is held. He basically just straight up murders people of different occupations to see if their souls will power his portal. I do like the idea of just, like, a hostile, like, a hostile reboot with Shang Tsung. Just, like, him just, I don't know, <laughs> alluring travelers. Yeah, just, hello, hello, strangers. <laughs> Please look, can I, look can into I interest my, you in a show of the dark arts. Yeah, please look into my dark eyes and my high cheekbones and my incongruously skull-like face. So after that, we hit like chapters eight and nine, and they, Kung Lao and Shang Tsung are talking to each other before Kung Lao is going to face Shang Tsung. Mm-hmm. Shang Tsung looks real bad because he hasn't won a Mortal Kombat in like seven or eight years, and so his body is dwindling but his power grows effectively right right whereas kung lao is just as youthful as ever yeah one of the benefits of winning mortal Kombat is you do not age for the next year until the next mortal Kombat. right so shang sung is like all right well i'm gonna get this prince of darkness dude i'm going to get a prince of the of the shokan the portal is barely big enough because i've been taking fighter souls from mortal Kombat over the past decade and a half so I'm going to summon this big, big forearm dude. Goro? It's Goro. Is it Goro? <laughs> yeah, we have Goro. We also have uh, Ruthe, right? We haven't talked about Ruthe, the, yeah. uh, the demon underling sent through the portal. Yeah. Shang Tsung's little, almost, it's almost like a comic relief. He's in the comic relief role. At but least. there's He's no sort of relief. Like this, just... There's no, not much comic. Or comic. Really. <laughs> yeah. 
he's just kind of there. He's just kind of like fumbles around. And I imagine him being like, uh, is it Hercules? Am I imagining like panic? some Hades underlings? Yeah. yeah, something along those lines, maybe. That's how I he, visualize it. He gave day. me pain, like, vibes. Like, I could see Bobcat Gulfweight voicing the character of Ruth A. Most of Ruth A's words involve more vowels than it needs, or more ending <laughs> consonants at the end of a word than they need in uh, any sort of novel. Um, that is mm. all of his dialogue is like shang or but when when and you're like dude just please 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 stop talk about pain actually speaking of pain kung lao's pre-show ritual he just uh what him the fuck, just man? flagellating himself scratching himself bloody with a thorny branch and not eating anything but rice cakes yeah uh, this guy's hardcore apparently getting all scratched up makes you more like sensitive and reflexive well there's a scene what is it predator right dragging the the knife across the chest to prepare for battle yeah so i mean a lot of this a lot of the next couple of chapters are like shang Tsung coming to uh shao Kahn and being like i promise great one this time i'll do it i promise man like just give me one more year I got it coming for you. I'm going to have the best portal, the best portal. And I'm going to make, I'm going to make them pay for it. It's very, does this sound familiar? <laughs> but yeah, the, the self-flagellation is just the self-flagellation is chapter nine. It is yeah. maybe 300 words. And Jeff Rovin has said that that is a chapter. We're just going to let you think about this. Just, just yeah. to exist here in this scene for a yeah, bit. Yeah, just go ahead and just kind of take that in. Um, we, then we get into finally, sweet Lord, we get into what we're here for. We get into the combat. We get into the combat yeah. with a K or we think we do. <laughs> yeah. We get a, I mean, we start like a, with a, actually like a pretty cool description of this Island. I mean, even in a previous chapter, we just got the sense of like this, just fog and shrouded you know, island, like a strange place, kind of surreal, right? The sunlight can't seem to break through, but it's like weirdly still, like birds don't venture into the interior. And then the the actual like palace and the grounds itself, it's just, uh, you know, the dragon spouting fire, illuminating the place at night. It is a cool image as a cliched as it is, but then there's just like some unintentionally funny shit, chief among them. Oh, here we go. Shang Tsung's throne, um, made of iron, Cast in the shape of human bones, not actual human bones. Like, <laughs> well, no, you are a sorcerer. Well, no, see, here's contacting the, thing. the ruler of the demon realm, and you're fiddling around with fake ass bones. Well, see, he want he he read George R. R. Martin. He loved the idea of a sword throne, but he's like, no, I gotta make it more goth. I gotta make it more yeah. goth because when when Shao Kahn gets here, he will not be pleased with just swords. It's gotta be bones. But if they're metal bones, that's fucking cool. That's fucking metal. That's fucking metal. Yeah. I don't know. I just I can't help but think hot topic. Like, uh, all right, but, why not just give him a collar and a fucking dangly chain wallet to boot? Let's I, get this guy some jinkos. I feel like done with it. I feel like yes, the iron forged in the shape of human bones is is important and wild and kind of funny. But it's it's the next description right after that one. Oh, I think I know that it's cu- is it uh... it's cushioned with the mystically preserved <laughs> blubber of a whale. And covered in panda fur. <laughs> From the sacred pandas. Fur only one such as Shang would dare take. And then there's shark teeth and human flesh. It's just, he's got like a freaking hunter's lodge going on in just his throne. Yeah. Uh, okay. Just, there's so much here. First, panda? Panda. Like, it's one of the cutest animals you could have chosen. It's not proving anything. Like, if you, I don't know, well, if no, you cover they're, your... They're sacred, right? So it's probably proving that he is, he's, uh, uh, he's spitting yeah, in the right. face of you're gods. Right. That's true. I'm just, it's the it's whale still, lover, dude. What? Even that, though, even like, I know you're making a point, but like, it's like this, this black and white spotted fur. I can't imagine it. It goes very well with the decor. And just like, this is your bone throne. I mean, <laughs> is that is that where also that's where he takes chin? Trademarked. Yeah, uh, tra- trademarked. My bone throw looks a little different. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like to prove your metal, like to drape it with like a tiger or a lion or something like to, you know, you would have proven your metal obtaining said fur, but just uh, something about the panda. But then it's like all this. We got the fake bones, but we have the real human flesh. Like, yeah. 
Shang, it's right there. Like you had to pull the flesh off of something to make your canopy, but you couldn't like where are the actual bones? Do we think that the bones have been covered in metal? Are there real bones under those metal bones? Oh, well, let's see. The The description is, well, let's see, iron cast in the shape of human bones. So I no, want to say no. he would have, like, you, no, separate bones. You would make, I don't know what you would make a cast for. using bones and then fill that cast with iron, right? That's just, that's a lot of, look. This aesthetic is all over the place. It, it really is. But again. Both visually and in terms of, like, the level of cruelty it implies. Magically preserved whale blubber is the <laughs> dumbest shit I've ever heard on to sit on. Dude, you have, like, people make down pillows. Uh-huh. Like, swans, and swans are sacred, right? Like, in a lot of cultures, majestic birds can be considered sacred. Take the feathers. Why do you have whale blubber? It's not even cold there. I mean, just, like, insulate and cushion as much as you can, right? Like, the bone throne's got to be rough on the... On the old tuchus? Yeah, on the tuchus there. And, like, Shang's got no cushion. He's a bony... Wizened old he's, wizard. He's incongruously skeleton-like. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but aside from this just magical, delightfully decorated interior, we have the final introduction hinted at, foreshadowed, excerpted. Um, Goro well, is here. I, I know. I know that this is... I'm dragging a little bit here, but I do want to point out that we are, there is a description of some of the past people that Kung Lao has beat ass on. Oh, okay. Let's not, let's give them their I will go, I'm going to go through these real, I'm going through these real fast. I've got them in my notes, ready to go. Uh, Ufila, the Ostrogoth, did not use martial arts, but attacked violently with a spiked club and shield and tired quickly. Damn. Uh, Mahada, who recited the Vedic Hymn of Creation as he fought. Put up a noble struggle, but lost several teeth during the match, and with them, his ability to utter the hymn and his confidence. A Roman wrestler named Toysaris gave Kung Lao some trouble when he pinned him to the ground, but the pain of the champion's self-inflicted lacerations was the added boost he needed to throw the challenger off. So he had to fight three people and then got to Shang Tsung, where Shang introduces the muscly, four-armed, glistening, bronze-chested, Turtle Man. Much alluded to, much foreshadowed, much excerpted. Son of King Gorbak and Queen Mai, the prince of Kwatan and ruler supreme of the armies of the kingdoms of Shokan. Goro. And they do give him a little bit more of a description here. And just a couple of things to point out. Yep, we got the bronze skin, we got the forearms. Um, his forearms strain against iron wristbands, which... Hey, super cool. He's got three fingers on each hand, sharp ears, a long black queue of hair, a nearly lipless mouth. So he is a four-armed ninja turtle, but bronze. Sounds hot. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd smash. And he also has weirdly like two powerful claws on each foot and a dew claw behind. So he is, even though he's mentioned to be like a, a symbol of Tien, He's missing four. He's missing four appendages. He's only got six. So he's an insect, not a mm. uber spider octopus. Whatever the hell TN is, I, I don't know. So we finally get Goro, and that foreshadowing of leaving the medallion behind so the wrong hands don't get it finally comes back. And we're going to, I'm just going to go ahead and say right now spoiler alert, if you're going to read this book, well, stop now. If, if you really want to. Otherwise, I'm just going to say it. Goro fucking rips Kung Lao's heart out of his chest. Yeah, it actually got me. You do have some more foreshadowing on the front end in Chapter 11, right? All the ifs running through Kung Lao's mind, like, oh, uh-huh. if only I hadn't left the, the amulet at home. If only I had done this and this. And like, oh, this, this does not bode well. And then <laughs> what we thought was our main character here, what, 30% into the book? Uh, yeah. We followed... Uh, the hero's journey, and uh, we have a new variation on the hero's journey, which is just the uh, hero your eats heart shit and loses his heart out of your chest. <laughs> but never fear, because much like Shang Tsung is the reincarnated regent for Shao Kahn, apparently Kung Lao's brother has a feeling when his wife gives birth to their first baby boy, and they name him Kung. Right. Meanwhile, off elsewhere in China, 
simultaneously with Kung Lao's death, we have the birth. Yes. Oh, and right after the birth, in case anyone was curious if this was foreshadowing in any way, shape, or form, thunder cracks after the baby is named. <laughs> so we, I call him Kung Lao. Cue the thunder. And thunder cracks. So that is the entirety of part one. That was a part. And I think that's where we need to leave it for today. I mean, this is a surprisingly rich work of narrative fiction. Mr. Roven has woven us a word tapestry. Yeah, I don't think we can cover it all in, in one episode and still do justice to what's here. I, I, I agree 100%. Um, I know that we, we said that this is going to be a bi-weekly podcast, but I think under the circumstances, uh, keep an eye out on our feed for next week. We'll be back to finish up with part two of... Mortal Kombat by Jeff Rovin. Do you think we're going to see a tournament next time? Are we going to see, in fact, Mortal Kombat? You know, based on the fact that that's what the book's called and the game's called and everything involving these characters is called Mortal Kombat, I really hope we see a Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Although so far, Jeff Rovin does seem to like uh, giving us a certain trope and then Shyamalan us. Yeah, what a twist. He likes to get a little twisty. He does like to get a little twisty. So just uh, housekeeping stuff. You can find us at SourceNotFoundPod at gmail.com and we are also on patreon at source not found pod uh, we have a discord that will be in our patreon information as well as uh, you can just look for us as source not found pod on discord and personal plug you can hang out with me on twitch i stream games under lejunebug l-e-j-e-u-n-e-b-u-g so please in the meantime while you're waiting for the riveting finale to this phenomenal work uh, please rate and review the show. We would love to hear from you as well. Feel free to reach out with any questions, comments, concerns, predictions. Smash that like, subscribe, comment. Smash it. Rip its heart out. Rip its heart out and have it reincarnated it. to the tune of the Thunder God. And until next time, Thunder Rolled. Jesus.